Jimmy Deans proudly and unwittingly presents the yearbook. It's an internet sports cast hosted by me, Doug. IndyCar. Well, actually, hold on. So before we get to that, well, we never went back and actually read the article, which says so many things on so many levels about this whole issue. But it was a, a journalist for the New York Times. This is new to you, but it's going to be just as boring if you haven't listened to one of our past podcasts. There was a journalist for the New York Times who wanted to learn how to talk like a podcaster. So she enlisted the help of podcasters. And we think we know the point of the article, but we read like two paragraphs and then got sick of it. And this continues to haunt us, this article, but never enough to actually go back and finish it. So the what we got out of it is, is basically two kinds of podcasters. And we could be way off because we didn't read the article over and over and over again. But she says there's two kinds of podcasters, I believe, which is one is basically the classical, classically trained radio person, sounds like a radio person or a DJ on a podcast. And the other is there's kind of a podcast voice or pod ways you have to say podcast words, which I assume is somewhat like where baseball announcers, no matter how they talk in real life, uh, when they're uh, getting groceries delivered to the curb or something at the car, they talk one way, but when they're on the air, they say that is load away for ball one. He pitches. It's out. So, oh, called a strike. One and one. I mean, we didn't even do it justice. But they all talk in this weird, cartoony, almost parody baseball announcer voice that you have to talk in if you're going to do that job. And maybe that's what she was talking about. Is there certain ways to pronounce certain words? What do you whisper into the microphone? Or something? Again, we never read it. We could find out in seconds. Well, it was a long article. Or by reading it. And we don't know which one we are. We don't know which way we talk. Maybe that's the problem. Says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com if you want to tell us the problem. That's not the problem. Anyway, IndyCar is back this weekend. And IndyCar comes back at a really weird time for IndyCar. Through all that, here's what I mean. Even if you think IndyCar is incredibly boring, the series still has a ton of great stories in it. But those stories need mainstream exposure. And mainstream exposure has proven almost impossible to come by. But in the last few months, all of a sudden, for no reason, open-wheel racing has gone mainstream. Not IndyCar. Open-wheel racing. And that's what's interesting. Old Spice premiered a commercial where a dude literally cracks, you heard me, and becomes an IndyCar driver, complete with a sweet Old Spice IndyCar. So the plot of a mainstream commercial has a guy transforming into an open-wheel driver. That is great household exposure for a sport in dire need of household exposure. But is it household exposure for IndyCar? There is no Old Spice IndyCar this season, as far as we know. If it turns out there is one somewhere down the line, we'll apologize. But there isn't one as far as we know. So... Will a generic guy driving a generic car really get people interested in the series? Maybe not, but maybe. At the same time, IBM unveiled an ad featuring female open-wheel driver Jamie Chadwick. It is a 30-second infomercial for racing, and that makes two big-name commercials 
at the same time that pop up everywhere, not just during races, they're everywhere. In this day and age, that is serious and unexpected exposure, but the ads are not IndyCar specific, so doesn't make any difference. Also, during interviews, people all of a sudden, for no reason, are using the phrase F1 car. The football term, audible, is a mainstream term, but it shouldn't be, because if you hate football, you have no idea what an audible is. You're sitting at work, and people say in meetings all of a sudden, let's call an audible on this. And you're like, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. Same for F1 car. Do racing haters know what that even is? Nonetheless, during an interview on NPR, someone trying to describe speed mentioned F1 car. And he's not the only one. In another interview, in another place, another person of another sex also trying to describe speed mentioned F1 car. Having... An open-wheel car term in mainstream conversation can't hurt, but again, is a mainstream term enough to get anyone interested enough in IndyCar or F1 to actually watch it. Interesting times. Open-wheel racing is chic, but none of this chicness specifically mentions IndyCar. And riding that wave of exposure that never actually mentions them IndyCar begins its regular season Sunday in Alabama. This has not been a good 16 months for Prestige TV. A lot of big things premiered on pay channels, streaming services, and networks, but just in our opinion, not many of them were great, which maybe is how it always is, or maybe not. And playing right into that is the HBO Sports documentary, The Day Sports Stood Still. Yeah, I know, it came out like a month ago. Takes a long time to do a podcast. Um, The day sports stood still. Unfortunately, how much you like the day sports stood still could mostly depend on how much of a Chris Paul fan you are. If you're a big fan of current Phoenix Sun Chris Paul, the day sports stood still is probably for you. Otherwise... Important disclaimer, we are completely and wholly unqualified to review this program or any other program. The day sports stood still begins with the day the NBA suspended last season, which coincidentally is the exact moment that I'll always remember as the time reality set in, that I realize everything really is going to shut down indefinitely. This is happening. The documentary then moves on to the home workouts and the uncertainty, the plan to restart the NBA season, and then the racial unrest that derailed the restart and everything else. Like a lot of documentaries, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, For example, video that's readily available of the daily mundane sports pregame activity that happens over and over and over and over, but rarely gets noticed. Until that pregame activity is the night the season gets canceled. Another moment is a look at the super tech used at Disney's NBA bubble to make sure everyone was following the health protocols. But unfortunately, a lot of the movie either doesn't have much new to say or is just plain dull. Already, other documentaries have covered the story of COVID much better. And this this movie, this film, is mostly ineffective at several things, including making you feel the player's isolation and making you feel the strangeness of games without fans. Chris Paul is basically at the center of this. He executive produced it. So again, how you feel about it might depend on how much you like Chris Paul. The documentary starts out with several different voices across different sports, but after a while, the voices are down to just Chris Paul. And the movie doesn't go into what any of the other sports were doing. 
there will be better nonfiction movies about the NBA's last 13 months and everybody else's. In case you missed it at the NCAA tournament, which ended a long time ago, how hard is it for unheralded schools to get heralded? If you missed it, and you might have, the MAC won again. The Mid-American Conference keeps winning NCAA tournament games, but for all the streaming and TV reminiscing about past glorious upsets, all the reliving the upsets that gets done over and over and over during March Madness, I haven't seen any highlight reels of the Max NCAA tournament destruction from above. So here it is. Mac member Ball State made the Sweet 16 in 1990. Eastern Michigan made the Sweet 16 in 1991. Miami of Ohio took out Arizona in 1995. Eastern Michigan upset Duke in 96. Western Michigan upset Clemson in 98. Miami made the Sweet 16 in 1999. Kent State eliminated Indiana in 2001. Kent State made the Final Eight in 2002. Central Michigan upset Creighton in 2003. Ohio, not Ohio State, Ohio. Ohio upset Georgetown in 2010 and knocked off Michigan and made the Sweet 16 in 2012. Buffalo upset Arizona just three years ago. Remember that? And this year, it was Ohio again, eliminating Virginia. So, That's one final eight appearance and four Sweet 16 appearances. And that damage has been done by five different Mid-American Conference schools. And eight different MAC schools have pulled off at least one major upset. So this is not one of those leagues where the one good team keeps doing all the damage. And we only included semi-modern history. We only went back to 1990. It's time for last week. In Division I AA football, someone a lot smarter than me made an excellent point that I never considered. Division I-A football, that's USC, Texas, Ohio State, etc. It's run mostly by huge schools in huge states like California, Florida, Texas, and Ohio. But Division I AA is not that. For one, Big Sky Country is everything. In the current Division I AA Top 25, three of the top four teams in the country are from the Dakotas and Utah. The top 10 has two teams from North Dakota, one from South Dakota, and one from Utah. And in a normal year, the top 25 would likely have at least one team from Montana, but Montana and Montana State are sitting out this spring. Elsewhere, Like North and South Dakota, Delaware and Rhode Island are both in the bottom 10 in population, but Delaware and Rhode Island are in the top 25 in 1AA. Virginia. There's a huge state. Virginia's huge population-wise. And the state's Division 1A schools generally win, but they've generally been championship non-factors. But in 1AA, James Madison, yes, it's in Virginia, has been in four national championship games. They've won two national titles, and right now, the Dukes are ranked number one again. 